Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a very special episode of the Tiniest Twigs podcast. My name is Max Boyum. I can be found anytime online at Max Boyum on Twitter. Feel free to give us a follow at Tiniest Twigs as well. Also, any questions, concerns, I always joke, threats can be sent to tiniesttwigspod at gmail.com. Now, today I'm joined by a very special guest and a good friend of mine, Father Timothy Smith from the Cathedral of St. Joseph to talk specifically about the Catechism's view of the capital punishment and how that affects us very closely here within the Diocese of Sioux Falls. So it's very timely for local listeners, um, but it's also a lot of really great information for those who have questions about the church's stance on the death penalty. Um, And actually, we had such a good conversation and we talked for so long that we decided that this was actually going to become a two-part episode, where the first part would focus mainly on what happened here in Sioux Falls over the last couple of weeks, and then the second half will go into a little bit of what the church's teaching has changed within the interpretation of capital punishment and everything that Francis has done within the last, I would say, three or four months or so. So it's a very interesting conversation that we have, very smart, very in-depth analysis of that, and I guarantee you Father Smith will blow you away with the things that he has to say. It certainly, certainly blew away every expectation that I had about this and a lot of really great information in here for you. So let's get right into it. Here's Father Smith. Oh, and before I forget to tell you to not to forget, drop us a five-star review on iTunes. It definitely helps us get our name out there. Also, feel free to leave a review telling us how great we are because we know we're doing a good job. But again, never hurts to hear it from everybody else. So again, one more time. Here's Father Smith. Father Smith, thank you so much for joining us here on the Tiniest Twigs podcast. We wanted to bring you in specifically to talk about the death penalty and specifically of how that is really affecting our local community, our local parish here in Sioux Falls, uh, and just to give an opportunity to talk a little bit more about the catechesis behind it. So why don't you tell a, lo- a little bit about yourself to everybody, yeah, a little bit of your background, not only as a priest, but also your experience with the death penalty and the, the background and the theology behind that. Well, my name is Father Timothy Smith. And I'm the parochial vicar of the Cathedral of St. Joseph, which is here in the Diocese of Sioux Falls, South Dakota, um, properly in the city of Sioux Falls. And uh, I serve the cathedral parish and pastoral ministry, as well as in preaching and teaching and catechesis. I'm also uh, part of our parish boundaries. The juridical boundaries are the state penitentiary. And so that means also all those who are prisoners, as well as the Jameson Annex, the place which is the execution site where capital punishment is exercised by our state government. And so just within the last 24 hours, um, there was a man who had committed a capital offense, was justly convicted in a court of law, and the punishment, capital punishment, was was communicated to him. So he was executed uh, really, just just uh, just over twenty four hours ago from the moment that we're recording this podcast. Yeah, so that really does speak to how timely this topic is, and how it's heavy on people's hearts. I mean, I was scrolling through Twitter yesterday, and it really—I mean, just the idea that the entire existence of this person, this human existence of this man, hung in the decision of a, a Supreme Court. The Supreme Court literally at one point delaying the decision and then at later in the evening making that final decision that he would be executed. I mean, just the gravity of him and his life, his entire existence, hanging in the pangs of just this decision of a group of people, it really hung heavy on my heart. And I'm sure many people also saw that and felt that as well. So can you talk a little bit about what you did as a parish yesterday and what the cathedral diocese or the diocese and the cathedral did uh, in preparation and during yesterday's events? 
Well, first and foremost, as members of the church, we're committed to praying. And so we were able to pray uh, for healing for the, the victim uh, of the crime whose name was Ronald R.J. Johnson. And Mr. Johnson was a corrections officer who was brutally slain by the assailant and the man who was executed, Mr. Rodney Burgett. Um, and that was occurred seven years ago. And that was a crime that was perpetrated in a prison escape attempt. And so not only was this sentence of capital punishment taking place within our boundaries, but the very crime of murder itself took place in our parish boundaries these seven years ago. So the offense that, that, that landed us in this situation, the, the crime of, of taking the life of this corrections officer, is also something that strikes close to home because this prison attempt to, to break out of prison from the penitentiary is also within our neighborhood, within the site of our parish and the spires of our cathedral. And so that's also another thing to take into consideration. Another thing to take into consideration that there are many corrections officers and people who work for the penitentiary and the justice system that are also members of the parish. And so I know every week, when I distribute Holy Communion, when we celebrate Mass, that there are men and women who come forward, that I look in their eyes, that they receive the body of Christ, and every week they serve in civic government and they serve our society as corrections officers. And so the man, Ronald Johnson, who was the victim of this horrendous crime, he was one of their, their brothers, and he truly was... Uh, there. So that community is felt. So you can see how... It's a, it can be a difficult issue even within the life of the church because we have parishioners who have personally felt the effects of this horrendous crime, as well as Mr. Rodney Burgett, the man who did commit this, this murder, uh, that he too was also a Catholic. He was a member of the church. And so after the crime, uh, he reconciled himself and his relationship with the church. And so there's a priest prison chaplain who has exercised uh, ministry to him. So he was, he too is a brother in Christ. Even though he committed this horrible crime, uh, he repented. Uh, he received the Lord's forgiveness as we teach in the church through the sacramental graces of penance and reconciliation. And he too, up until the time of his death yesterday, received sacramental ministry. And so that would include the sacraments of last rites and preparation for his death, as well as being a recipient of Holy Communion, as well as attending Holy Mass, which was celebrated for the Catholic members that are on death row. And so you can see how very up close and personal this gets to the life of the church, where both victims and friends and co-workers of the victim, as well as the assailant, are all members of Christ's body, the church. And so it can become very complicated really quickly if we look at how this is this is the sin is part of the human mess, and it's all takes place within the life of one, one parish. Right. So uh, that's a lot. I was gonna say that's <laughs> that's definitely a lot to chew on. Uh, I mean, it just within the issue itself. I mean, there are just so many different layers. And the other tough part about this, it is it a very emotionally based issue where a lot of people are very passionate about, obviously remembering and praying for the victims, in this case, RJ, while also trying to, and I, I would say that 
I would struggle praying for Mr. Brigette. The idea of praying for a man who took another man's life is tough, I would say, for most people. So I'd say that's probably the toughest part about that charity and that grace of being able to look past that and see him, like you'd mentioned, as a member and a, as a child, as a son of God, while at the same time, obviously, there being consequences for his actions. So let's jump into the catechism directly, um, you know, kind of the, the go-to paragraph being paragraph 2267 within the catechism. And I'll just read directly from it real quick here. Assuming that the guilty party's identity and responsibility have been fully determined, the traditional teaching of the church does not exclude recourse to the death penalty. If this is the only possible way of effectively defending human lives against the unjust aggressor. Now, we can get in a little bit later as to what that looks like now, after Pope Francis's recent teaching and recent change within the catechism, but Father, can you take us a little bit deeper into, I guess, have you had the opportunity, or I don't know if you even call it an opportunity, have you had the experience of working with inmates within the prison with, I mean, specifically, I guess, death row inmates? Is that something that's been a part of your past? It is not. There are two priests who have been particularly tasked with uh, ministering to those who are in death row. Of course, in the corrections system, there's a lot of permissions and safeguards which are necessary, obviously, even around this crime, because it is involving a murder that took place within the prison system. Um, and so right away, as we start reading this, uh, this paragraph, we can see that there is a lot of circumstances that, that it's perhaps compelling that, uh, that this perhaps is a, is a just opportunity under the circumstances of the prison system. But myself personally, I have not ministered to uh, anyone on death row. Um, I'm not tasked with that. The bishop does uh, designate the priest who are responsible for that ministry. And uh, the priest that was, uh, there was a priest that was in the viewing room while the execution was, uh, had taken place yesterday. Um, I'll, for, that's for his, I won't name him, but I will say there is a priest that's designated um, to, be a, to minister to his needs during that time and be present at that hour of death. Okay, and so uh, you had mentioned before we started recording that you wanted to jump into the theology aspect of it, not necessarily just the catechism part of it, but more of the theology aspect of it. So let's get into the, just the big why. Like, why is the Church opposed to the death penalty? Why is this such a big deal, wherein it does cause such controversy whenever, in South Dakota specifically, the rare chance that there is an, uh, a death row inmate who is actually executed? Yeah, I think uh, picking up there on 2267, uh, where we left off, um, I want to kind of con continue that where, so I'm going to con continue that reading there where it says, if, however, non-lethal means are sufficient to defend and protect people's safety from the aggressor, authority will limit itself to such means as these are more in keeping with the concrete conditions of the common good and more in conformity to the dignity of the human person. Today, in fact, as a consequence of the possibilities which the state has for effectively preventing crime by rendering one who has committed an offense incapable of doing harm without definitively taking away from him the possibility of redeeming himself, the cases in which the execution of the offender is an absolute necessity Quote, are very rare, 
if not practically non-existent, and an end quote. And that last quote is from a document written by Pope St. John Paul II called Evangelium Vitae, which is entitled The Gospel of Life. That's what that translates. Um, and so fundamentally, right away, and this is the, the, the unrevised version of the Catechism 2267. So Pope Francis's revision of this paragraph aside, this is how it appears in anyone who has a print form of the Catechism. It's actually still printed this way on the Vatican website. I just looked at it this evening. So that has not been amended at this time. There is a document that with, the, with this, this revision, which we'll discuss in a few moments. Um, but ultimately, um, speaking about the dignity of the human person, that man was created in the image and likeness of God, and that this human dignity, uh, that this protection of human life, that ultimately, that it is, there's a, because it's a human person that, that, that has this divine uh, sharing in this divine in goodness, and in, in, in they're called to be united to God, the Father Almighty, and this, this, this real personhood, which is something that is esteemed and not treated like any other creation, a part of God's creation, that ultimately uh, there's the dignity of human life which should be respected and defended at all costs. And so the question is regards to uh, are lethal means necessary to end a human life, to protect society? Um, and so the, this section of the Catechism would say that in modern day you know, the cases in which execution of the offender is a necessity are very rare, if not practically non-existent. And so what are the cases in which, you know, capital punishment would be necessary? Um, this quote from St. John Paul II would say that uh, it really is looking to the fact that in, in our modern day contemporary time, do we have the sufficient means to keep someone uh, who is a repeat offender, who poses a threat and a risk to other human life. People who have committed capital crimes are crimes of the gravest nature, which would be a threat to taking other human life. In order to protect society and protect human life, which has a dignity, then that it's put to us that we would want to make sure we have all the, the means necessary to protect human life from uh, the protect from others who would perpetrate willful crimes of murder. Um, ultimately, uh, there are circumstances where someone says, I will kill again, and I will take another human life. And it seems that there are, there are maybe perhaps there are circumstances. And so if we look at our current case, let's go directly to our case. It seems like someone could make a compelling argument that our current prison system. Uh, yesterday, Mr. Burgett, who was executed, had escaped prison uh, two times prior in the history of many, many years of being imprisoned. I believe it was just in the mid-1980s when he was first incarcerated. He escaped from a minimum security prison. He was captured, and then he was in, later on, escaped from a maximum security from the same penitentiary 
which later on, many years later, he would go on in a third prison attempt in which he took the life of Ronald R.J. Johnson. Uh, Someone could make the compelling argument that these three offenses are really those rare uh, circumstances in which it's it's difficult to keep someone who continues perpetrating a prison break attempt and is willing to take another human life in the process of doing that. There's sufficient evidence in that in that person's life where um, so that is a compelling argument that is put forward in this particular case that has taken place in our. Does that make sense to you? I, I do you see how someone can make that argument based off of the circumstances and these repeat offenses and perhaps. Uh, that there is a difficulty in keeping that person um, from being a danger to society and other people. Right. And the other hard part about that is how an institution, not necessarily just the penal system, but also the Catholic Church itself, like going case by case for every death row inmate and, and looking at the small details that you pointed out and deciding what arguments are important and how convincing they are within, I mean, yeah, I would absolutely agree that within this specific case there, after all that information being known, that seems like under that definition, the death penalty would, I guess, be permissible within the previous interpretation before the revision. And just how difficult that is, though, and how tricky it is to how it has to be analyzed case by case within that. So yeah, I I definitely see how that can be a compelling argument for advocating for the death penalty. Now, Mr. Burgett, who was executed, he had a a co-conspirator, a man named Eric Robert, who was executed, uh, I believe this was three years ago when his execution was carried out. I don't have the specific date. Um, But Mr. Eric Robert, he too was also a Catholic, and through the course of his years of incarceration, had underwent uh, catechesis. He had received uh, been ministered to within the prison system, um, had gone through uh, different experiences. But at a certain point in time, which every human person has freedom of the will, uh, and this is based off a testimony from the priest chaplain, that he withdrew his participation um, from the life of the church while being incarcerated. And so uh, Mr. Eric Robert, who is also a co-conspirator in this capital crime, he too was also a member of the church, and he too uh, had received uh, Christian training and living out. Um, and so this idea of hope for redemption, that both that there would always be this hope for redemption, we see that within the penal system, within the correction system, that it's, it's difficult to see how, how a prisoner who is living within an institution, um, how they're able to undergo a conversion experience and live a life of redemption and penance um, for the crimes that they've committed in his own life and testimony it becomes very cloudy very quickly when we look at the lives of these two men who have both been executed for this murderous crime, um, both of whom have undergone conversion experiences, uh, but at the same time, both of whom uh, are fully responsible and, and justly convicted for this crime. There are other states that have death uh, patient, you know, prisoners on death row who perhaps the circumstances of their crimes, perhaps there's not a reasonable doubt, but in this case, uh, their guilt is certain. It's whether or not the punishment uh, is suitable. And 
again, these circumstances on whether or not they still pose a threat to society, um, they're very compelling in that realm of are they still, uh, is this an absolute necessity in order to protect other prison officials, other prisoners? Um, and so that, that's a very compelling argument and something to think about. And so whose job is it, I guess? I would assume that it probably falls on a more local level, but is it the bishop's job then to decide, I guess, within the previous interpretation of whether or not that argument is compelling enough to make that okay or give it the thumbs up? I guess I don't, that, that sounds wrong and correct me if I sound wrong there, but is that the local bishop's job is to look at all the facts and determine if those arguments are compelling enough? Well, it's actually not. Uh, so the, there's a consistency in the church's teaching. And so I would say uh, that a person, members of the church and their conscience, uh, could look at those circumstances and they would be, uh, it's a difficult situation. Um, there's certain inadequacies uh, in, and so the, there's inadequacies in the, the way in which we exercise capital punishment within the state. And so certainly, the bishops uh, have released of the state, since we're working with civil government and it's at a state process, the bishops have united, um, have put out a statement, and that's come through the office of the South Dakota Catholic Conference. And so we have two dioceses within our state, um, and our bishop, Bishop Paul Swain, and Bishop Robert Gruss from the Diocese of Rapid City together worked to provide a statement in which contains words of scripture, church teaching, which upholds the church's opposition to capital punishment, while at the same time really is an opportunity to encourage a call to action that there perhaps civil authorities have a greater responsibility to safeguard society and hold people accountable for their criminal actions, while at the same time seeking other means to bring about their redemption, and also really uh, raising the, the, the value of human dignity while at the same time keeping that opportunity open for God's healing and God's mercy and for the work of, of the forgiveness that comes to us through Jesus to be exercised through civil society, through our court systems, and especially through our correction systems, and seeking a means to bring about safety, the protection of society, while at the same time maintaining human life and respecting human life. And so I would, uh, in the show notes, I'll uh, offer a link that you can find the document that was written. It's a two-page two document uh, statement in opposition uh, to the use of the death penalty. And at, in all instances where there has been, uh, in the last several executions within the state, the bishops always release a statement uh, really emphasizing that this, there's a consistent teaching here. Um, and in these circumstances, um, the, the bishops don't speak about each specific case. Um, church teaching is consistent, um, but at the same time, uh, it is it can be difficult if you think about these circumstances. Uh, now, that enters into, you know, what is a moral act, you know, and really you can really look into other things about moral acts in the church's teaching. The principle of double effect. Um, you can also look at, and that those are things for another podcast that you can so spend the whole time talking about. So. Probably a whole episode just on that, yeah, right? That's correct. Well, good. So, 
I mean, is there any other, I guess, theological or catechist base that you want to touch on as far as why the church is morally opposed to the death penalty? I think one of the things I draw great, uh, you know, great wisdom from is this, this has a, a quote from e, Pope John Paul II from Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life. And within that document, really, Pope John Paul II uh, teaching as the, the Pope uh, in the mid-1990s really outlawed that there's a culture of life and there's a culture of death. And that the message of the gospel, the message of Jesus and the teachings of the church, both in Revelation and throughout traditions, uphold a culture of life. And so ultimately, a society that, that exercises capital punishment, uh, we really are opening up the doors to a lot of... Uh, there's other areas in which the Holy Father identifies in that document and that are also press, pressing issues in our society. And so that includes. We talk about the dignity of human life and how man was created in the image and likeness of God. And so we also see that within civil society, especially in the United States, but in other parts of the world, there's practices of abortion and euthanasia, um, which also is the taking of human life, as well as other areas that denigrate the dignity of the human person. And so, uh, interestingly enough, in that document, Pope St. John Paul II does not list capital punishment as one of the intrinsic evils. And that's because under the principles of, of justice, that if there is an aggressor that is coming after you, that you have in your freedom to defend your own life. And that really is that principle that's at work. And so that's why capital punishment is not listed as an intrinsic evil, something that is always wrong under all circumstances. Because of course, you have someone that's a violent aggressor and they pose a threat to every person in society, then there is just cause in that particular circumstance for taking their life according to capital punishment means. Um, and so that's, there's a little difference there. So there's a lot more um, in that. Uh, in, in my conversation in preparing to exercise pastoral ministry in preaching, I drew great strength from uh, Pope St. John Paul II's writing in the Gospel of Life, and particularly his meditation on what death is, and really looking at even the first murder that took place between Cain and Abel in Genesis chapter 4. And so in the first chapter of the Gospel of Life, uh, John Paul II gives a teaching on the, the passage from Genesis chapter 4 and the murder of Abel by his brother Cain. And really just looking at the, the Lord's response to that is that your brother's blood cries to me from the ground. And how what an unfortunate thing that evil has its effect in our world today. And that we can even take great solace from Jesus in the gospel who knows what it's like to lose one of his own family members. If we think, uh, look to the gospel passages where we see the beheading of John the Baptist at the hands of Herod. And recognizing that John the Baptist, who was one of Jesus' own kin, was brutally slain. His, he was beheaded. And that Jesus knows the pain of victims of violence and those who have been unjustly murdered by others. In the same token, Jesus himself 
knows what it's like to be condemned to capital punishment in his own death and crucifixion, unjustly so in his case. But even when we think of the two criminals that were crucified on the side of him, the one who was repentant and the one who was unrepentant. And so Jesus also knows the pain, the fear, the suffering of those who have been condemned to die by capital punishment through his own uh, human and divine nature, as well as uh, just experiencing that with those who were with him during his own death and crucifixion. And so through the scriptures, it can really bring meaning to this great uh, darkness. And in my preparation to preach and to really look at how I can bring the message of the gospel to all parties involved, family members, co-workers, those correction officers who serve and are members of our parish, who see things in the prison system every day that I probably can't even imagine, uh, as well as those who are respecting the dignity of human life and the dignity of Mr. Rodney Burgett, who was a brother in Christ, that he ate and drank the body and blood of Jesus, just as you and I do at Holy Mass. And so that means that the grace of God is within him as well, and that he's our brother, and that we pray for his soul, that God would have mercy on him, that he would have final perseverance, and that he would receive that mercy of God, that forgiveness that you and I receive when we repent from our sins and ask Jesus to bring us to eternal life. And so really just looking to the treasury of the scriptures, and in preparation, I asked a theologian friend of mine, Dr. Susan Winley Doust, who uh, was a moral theology professor of mine as an undergrad. Uh, she's also the author of a book called Why You Shouldn't Kill Yourself, which is a beautiful collection of essays on euthanasia and really drawing strength from the teachings of the church and the catechism and St. John Paul II, and really tricks of the heart. Why? this temptation against human dignity in our life today. And my conversation with Susan was pretty cogent. She herself is an advocate opposed to the death penalty, but at the same time, she recognizes that this particular circumstance where you have someone within a, a correction system, within a penitentiary, who has a track record and really seems to fall in that very, very slim slim area, that gray area where perhaps it's permissible. But at the same time, she brought out to me in our conversation how it's also a witness to, you know, even how our correction systems that, how they don't really lend themselves to bring about the redemption of someone. Of course, you can't force a free will. Every human person is responsible for their actions, and you can't force conversions upon other people. And I do not doubt the efforts of all those corrections officers, prison officials, people who work in education in the prisons, as well as the chaplains work to bring about education and, and Christian formation to the men and women that are within our correction systems. And so it's not a failure on their part, but perhaps it's just another expression of these effects of original sin that resonate within humanity. And uh, it's a difficult situation. And so ultimately, we prayed for healing for those who are victims, family members of the victims, as well as God's mercy for those who have been condemned to die. And that is something that we can consistently pray for, and especially when we're faced with these circumstances. And one thing I would recommend, I mean, just as a good place to start, like I mentioned in the beginning, I think it is very common, and I would say okay, that you struggle 
in Prang for, in this case, Rodney Brigette. So I think that one of the best things you can do is to read the writings of St. Pope John Paul II, um, specifically within the Gospel of Life, and really meditate on those words and meditate on what their meaning is to really help you, I guess, get around the difficulty that is praying for someone who, in the eyes of the state, obviously, didn't deserve the right to live. And I think that that's something that's extremely powerful and something that isn't easy, but again, definitely something worth your time and worth doing in the best of ways, uh, again, to not only pray for the soul of Rodney Brigette and RJ and all those who have been affected by this tragedy, but also for your own personal strength. I mean, just building yourself up as a better prayer, as a better person who can take these tough issues and chew on them gradually over time, because it's not going to be something that you just snap your fingers and it becomes super easy. Um, It's hard. It's hard to pray for those people who, again, may on the surface not seem like they deserve it. I mean, with, for lack of a better phrase, it's something that is a personal struggle, I would say, again, for me, and I would assume that a lot of people would, would echo that same thought. But just the idea of being able to meditate on those words and think about the gravity of them really does help with one's um, ability to, I guess, digest the whole situation. So, yeah. Uh, Father, anything else about that uh, within specifically that topic? Any other tips or any other tricks? Uh, that you would suggest for praying for better strength internally about that? I think uh, mo- one of the most important things is to think about, uh, you know, there are more there are more circumstances in the life of Mr. Burgett, which we haven't touched upon, which can be a whole series. And, and of course, there's great resources that talk about death row inmates and how they ended up where they're at. Especially, there's a lot of great content that, really celebrates the heroic acts of our officers, men and women in law enforcement and corrections, who really put themselves in a dangerous situation to protect our society. And so I think most, most first and foremost is just praying for a healing for all people for, from victims and, and violence and recognizing that it never is God's will that these awful things take place, that it's human freedom misused that creates evil in our world. God permits it, but then he also brings the glory um, through the glory of Jesus and his resurrection. And so my prayer and my word of encouragement would be continue to seek the Lord. You know, the book of wisdom and the first chapter has great uh, counsel and and continue to seek these documents where you can uh, grow in your understanding of how human freedom is misused, but also recognize that God's will uh, is done through us who just beseech him and ask him for his grace and mercy and for understanding, and also recognizing that we make mistakes, that we ourselves are sinners, that when I recognize that the Lord, uh, can the Lord forgive me for the things that I've done wrong, and, and is there a God that's full of mercy? And so one of the things we did as a parish is we prayed the Divine Mercy Chaplet yesterday afternoon. There was about 125 people gathered within the parish. And we prayed that God's mercy, mercy on us and on the whole world, as that refrain often goes. Uh, and we just recognize that this, that the Lord and his love and mercy um, can bestow his grace upon us. That's beautiful. I love that. I, Father, do you think that's a good spot? I mean, for cutting off between part one and part two, do you think that's a good spot to cut things off? And then second part, kind of talking a little bit more about the revision and jumping into that a little bit? Yeah, that sounds good to me. 
what did I tell you? How absolutely beautiful and just dense that whole thing was. And you have a full two weeks to digest everything and get a grasp on everything that we talked about. But be sure to come back for more. Like I said, it's going to be a two-part episode. So we're going to talk next time a little bit more about the revision within the catechism, which we alluded to a little bit in this part. And we're really going to get deep into the philosophy and theology behind this teaching and a lot of really great information just for you to kind of think about and again, talk about with people around you. So need you to do a few things before next time. Going to have to ask you to drop a five-star rating on iTunes. Leave us a review. Leave any questions, concerns, all that stuff on Twitter at Tiniest Twigs at Max Boyum or any emails to tiniesttwigspod at gmail.com. We'll see you next time.